This is tape number eight of Dr. Joel Hunter's series, Faith from Heaven to Earth. The subject of this eighth message is faith when facing great challenges. And from the New American Standard, Dr. Hunter's text is found in Joshua, chapter 14, verses 7 through 15. And it reads as follows. I was forty years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land, and I brought word back to him as it was in my heart. Nevertheless, my brethren who went up with me made the heart of the people melt with fear, but I followed the Lord my God fully. So Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land on which your foot has trodden shall be an inheritance to you and to your children forever because you have followed the Lord my God fully. And now, behold, the Lord has let me live just as he spoke these forty-five years, from the time that the Lord spoke this word to Moses when Israel walked in the wilderness, and now, behold, I am eighty-five years old today. I am still as strong today as I was in the day Moses sent me. As my strength was then, so my strength is now, for war and for going out and coming in. Now then, give me this hill country about which the Lord spoke on that day. And you heard on that day that Anakim were there with great fortified cities. Perhaps the Lord will be with me, and I shall drive them out as the Lord has spoken. So Joshua blessed him and gave Hebron to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, for an inheritance. Therefore Hebron became the inheritance of Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, until this day, because he followed the Lord God of Israel fully. Now, the name of Hebron was formerly Kariath Arba, for Arba was the greatest man among the Anakim. Then the land had rest from war. And now, let's join in for praise and worship, followed by Dr. Joel Hunter's message, Faith When Facing Great Challenges. Message number eight of the series, Faith From Heaven to Earth. Last week, as we began our service, we... Uh, we're reminded of the names of God, names which showed His power and His provision. But we also worshiped God for another name by which He's known, a name that is above all names, the name of Jesus. And while the other names of God, strong, powerful names like Yahweh and Elohim and El Roy, those names God reserves only for Himself. It's interesting that when He chose to become the Word in flesh, that He chose a very common name in Jewish culture, the name Jesus. It's the same root word as Joshua, from which Joel will be preaching this morning. It also means Savior, and it was a name that many people who were contemporaries of Jesus also had the name Jesus. Justice and others are described in the New Testament as having the very same name. Well, God gave this common name to Himself to emphasize His full presence into the family, into the body of Christ. He has given us this to show us that we can relate to Him in a personal and an intimate way. And so when we address God by this name, it has come to mean so much more though because it also represents all of the Gospels and all of the acts of the Holy Spirit and and all of the provisions that God has made for us individually and collectively in our lives. So this morning we worship the One whose name is above every name. And we worship Him because through Christ He has provided for all of our past by forgiving our sins 
and has guaranteed us our future because of his provision. Listen as as, uh, I read these words from Psalm 116. And then we're going to sing together a creed uh, that is an affirmation of the things we know and believe about who God is and what he has done. I love the Lord because he hears my voice and my supplications, because he has inclined his ear to me, and therefore I shall call upon him as long as I live. The cords of death encompassed me, and the terrors of hell came upon me. And I found distress and sorrow, and then I called on the name of the Lord. Lord, save my life. And the Lord came and saved me through His graciousness and His righteousness and His compassion. And I shall therefore lift up the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. I shall pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of His people, for He has shown me what to believe. Would you stand? I believe six days in a rest. God is good. I do confess. I believe. In Adam and Eve, in a tree and a garden, and a snake and a thief. I believe, I believe, I believe in the Word of God. Yeah, yeah, I believe, I believe, cause He made me believe. I believe Noah. An ark of wood, 120 years, no one understood. I believe I could never die, but fire from heaven on a mountainside.
Well, that's just exactly how those first century Christians said the creed as well. Actually, that's our 1995 version of the creed because these words are living words. They're words that are not just for the first century. They are for today because the truth that goes with them is truth that is alive and is living today. And so we affirm them just as Christians have down through the ages. We sing these truths about God because the psalmist tells us that He is the fountain of every blessing, of every good thing that we have in our lives. He is the giver of those things. And so as we affirm these truths about who He is, we remind ourselves just again, as, as men and women of God have done for generation after generation, we remind ourselves of who He is and His promise, which is real, for today, for the past, and for the future. We're going to now insert the words of an ancient creed, the Apostles' Creed, that we say the words that they said in the 4th century with these words. We're going to insert this into the text of an old hymn that you will be familiar with. Again, to remind ourselves of the connection from the Creator God to a suffering, passionate God to a resurrected and returning God who connects in an intimate way with His body, the church, the people of God. Come Thou Fount of every blessing. Father Almighty, 
maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits on the right hand of God the Father Almighty, from which he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen.
you remember the story of Jesus meeting the woman at the well. And when he encountered her, he spoke to her these words. You worship that which you do not know. We worship that which we know. For salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people the Father seeks to be His worshipers. Our goal in worship is to do just that. To touch the reality of who God is, both in His Spirit and in the truth that He has left behind for us. All of you, when you got up this morning, you didn't get up and get dressed and come to church just to be able to recite some words that you maybe have said a hundred times before or to sing songs that you've sung since you were a child or to just be told things that you've heard before. No, you came this morning because you want to touch the reality of who God is. Because you believe that God is not just the God of the past, though He certainly is that. Because through that, He has covered and forgiven us of our sins. But He is the God of the present. And He is the God who has assured us of the future victory that is ours in the future. And so as we worship Him this morning, we remember, but we also look forward. When Jesus shared the Last Supper with His disciples, Matthew records it in this way. It says, while they were eating, Jesus took some bread. And after a blessing, He broke it and gave it to His disciples and said, take and eat. This is my body. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he gave it to them and said, Drink from it, all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for forgiveness of sins. But then Jesus gave them this assurance of his continuing blessing and presence. When he said, But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you. In my Father's kingdom. With this, He promised their future, even as He forgave their past. In communion, we remember the death of Christ and the sacrifice that He gave to uh, for us. But we also hold on to the truth and the promise of the resurrection, knowing that that assures us of our future. So as we prepare ourselves this morning, for communion, to share in the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. I want to invite you to ask God to search your heart and to know you, just as the psalmist said. And in so doing, as you unwrap the things in your heart before the Lord, ask Him to come in and give you the provision, the assurance of His provision for the future. Would the communion servers please come forward? And as they do, would you prepare your heart? to partake of the Lord's Supper. Almighty God, as we confess the sins of our past, we know that we have forgiveness provided in the sacrifice of Christ. You have said in your word, if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 
Help us this morning also to put before you the places in the future to which you have called us, knowing that you are the provision for those as well. Hear us, O merciful Father, we most humbly beseech thee, and grant that we, receiving these thy creatures of bread and wine, according to thy Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ's holy institution, in remembrance of his passion, death, and resurrection, may be partakers of the divine nature through him. Amen.
body of our Lord Jesus Christ, which was given for thee, preserve thy soul and body unto everlasting life. Take and eat this in remembrance that Christ died for thee, and feed on him in thy heart by faith with thanksgiving. The blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, which was shed for thee, preserve thy soul and body unto everlasting life. Take and drink this in remembrance that Christ died for thee, and be thankful. Lord, we can never thank you enough for what you have done, but we can stand in awe of you. And we can contemplate your beauty.
Lord, when David first wrote those words, they were true. And when we sing them this morning, they are true. You are an awesome God. You are a most holy, most righteous God. And this morning, as we have together as your people, we have worshipped you because you alone are worthy of praise and honor and adoration and awe. Lord, as your people, we have also recited together truths about yourself that you have left for us to remember. And as your people, we have partaken of the sacrament which you left for us to remember what you've done. And Lord, as your people, just as we sing praise now, we are reminded through the words that Jesus told his disciples that we will sing these praises for all eternity. And we're glad about that and we thank you for that. Lord, we believe that you've called us, though, to be more than just folks who are forgiven of the past. We believe that you've called us to be men and women who are aggressively and actively pursuing the kingdom to which you've called us. So, Lord, this morning we pray that you will show us how we can do that. As we hear the word that is preached as the Holy Spirit applies it to our hearts, Lord, we pray for ourselves and pray that you will help us to do just that. We pray for Joel as he preaches the word that you have given to him. And Lord, we pray that we would truly be the people of God, united in forgiveness of the past, but expectation of the future to which you've called us. We ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, if you have your scriptures with you, <laughs> sorry, there's a little side story going on over here, and I've just we've been kind of laughing about it all the morning. My three sons were supposed to hear, be here to help serve communion, and you know Beck was turning around, going, "Where are they?" I told him when to get up, and I said, "Well, I'm sure they'll be here," you know, and very competent young men, and. Uh, she, and I said, why didn't you bring them with you? She said, well, I had to come early and teach Sunday school. Of course, I had to come real early on Sunday morning. And I said, well, how are they supposed to get, how are they supposed to get here? And her face just froze. Now, the funny part about this is we live in an apartment building, and we don't have a regular parking spot, you know. It's just whoever drives the car last, that's where you park it. So I just, I'm seeing these three dressed-up young men wandering around this apartment complex looking for the car. How long did you guys wander around there? About five, ten minutes before you decided? I don't even know how you got here now. I just saw him walk in about two minutes ago. Anyhow, so I'm, I'm sitting there laughing through the whole, you know, the whole thing. Becky never makes mistakes like this. This is so funny. And uh, I'm always the one that's doing this, you know. She just is perfect. Her, I mean, her record is absolutely unblemished. So, and I'm sure somehow I am to blame for this somehow. No. <laughs> No, that's not right. But anyhow, uh, we're going we're gonna to read this morning the story of Caleb. Caleb, if, if you will remember, I love this story. Caleb is uh, uh, one of the two. Caleb and Joshua 
were the two in the, in, the, in the party of twelve that went out to spy out the land in the second year of the wilderness wanderings after the Jews were um, um, exited from Egypt. They wandered around in the waters for two years. They knew where the promised land was. They came upon the promised land. They sent a party of twelve to spy out the promised land. And two of them came back and said, we can do this deal because God is our God. Ten of them came back and said, it's too big. There's, there's giants living there. We can't do this. And so because there were ten cowards and the majority carried the day, God let them wander around in the wilderness for 38 more years until that entire generation of cowards died off. That's a large price to pay for cowardice. So, here it is, later now, they have taken seven years, I will show you the math in just a minute, taken seven years in conquering the promised land, and they're ready to divide it up. And Caleb, who has not seen Joshua for many years, they come together again in the division of this promised land, so Caleb can request the peace that God has already assigned him. Start with me in verse 6. Then the sons of Judah drew near to Joshua in Gilgal, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh the Kenizzite, said to him, You know the word which the Lord spoke to Moses, the man of God, concerning you and me in Kadesh Barnea. I was forty years old when Moses sent the servant uh, when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land, and I brought, the, I brought word back to him as it was in my heart. Now, I want you to remember those words. Nevertheless, or in contrast to, my brethren who went up with me made the heart of the people melt with fear. But I followed the Lord, my God, fully. Now, he's telling this to, to Joshua. He says, Joshua, you remember this, don't you? Remember when we came back and I just spoke what, what God had put in my heart? I was so convinced, so were you, Joshua, that we could do this thing. But remember those ten? They came back and everybody just chickened out. Well, before I go any further, let me just recognize the tendency in all of us people to want to be popular. And in wanting to be popular and wanting to fit in, we will always give the coward's report. You know why? Because it makes people uncomfortable to tell them the full truth. And in that day, when those ten came back, they took the safest possible way out. They said, let's not put ourselves through this. They gave the objective report. They gave all of the odds against them. Now, let me ask you to name any of those ten. Any of those ten. We don't know their names. You know why? I'll tell you right now. Because our attempt at being popular works just the opposite. Those of you, whether you be teenagers or adults, who want to get in good with the crowd so that you will be accepted, will find yourself one day forgotten by the crowd. You know why? Because the crowd is a fickle thing. And because you have nothing more lasting than popularity, and popularity does not last. 
No. There's another alternative. And paradoxically, it will garner you enough followers to do what God has given you to do. And this is the alternative. Find what God wants you to do in your life and do it. Whether it's popular or not. No matter how many vote for you or don't vote for you. Get something that's more important than your own popularity and go through with it. Because in the end, you will have enough surrounding you to do that. God will call others also. And in the end, those are the only ones worth having fellowship anyhow. All the others will fall away for various reasons. But there will be a company of fellow believers with you. And so... I say that because I know some of you right now are worried about being accepted by your peers or about being popular, about, about people liking you. Don't. Don't worry about it. Do what God says for you to do. Do some passion in your heart that's more concerned with higher things than your own popularity. And paradoxically, you'll always have enough friends. Now... It says, So Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land on which your foot has trodden shall be an inheritance to you and to your children forever, because you have followed the Lord my God fully. God calls you to a place of spiritual leadership in a land that he has given you. Now, most of you who are a Christian already realize this. You realize you didn't become a Christian just so that you could save yourself. You realize you became a Christian. God called you to his son so that you could take responsibility for spiritual leadership. And most of you say to yourself, you know, someday... I'm going to come to a place in my life where I'm going to really be able to make a spiritual impact. Now, here's the most usual thought pattern that is not the correct thought pattern. In your mind, someday, somewhere, other than today and now. You have that far away. You know, you say, I can't do that right now because I'm busy with this or that, or I can't do that right now because I've tried it in this spot, and I've, and I've met with resistance in this spot. So someday I know God will lead me somewhere where I'm really going to make a tremendous spiritual contribution. Let me read to you again the words of this scripture. The land on which your foot has trodden shall be an inheritance to you and to your children forever. Do you realize that your place of spiritual responsibility, your place of spiritual leadership is a land you know already. It's not out there someplace. God's not going to jerk you out and take you to Alaska. You know? It, it most likely is a place on which you have already stepped. Why aren't you then the spiritual leader? Because you're afraid. You're afraid. Most men won't take responsibility to be the spiritual leader of their family because they're afraid their wives are going to snipe at them. They're afraid their wives are going to say, wait, 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 wait. You're going to lead me in a prayer when I saw what you did this week, when you've acted like you have this week? And they run that scenario through their head and right away they give up taking spiritual leadership for their family. They're afraid of their kids making fun of them. 
And they say, ah, you know, I can't do I can't stand that. You know, I, I know I'm a hypocrite and I know I'm not. A, so I just won't do this thing. I want to tell you, that's the very place that God's given you to take the spiritual responsibility and to provide the spiritual leadership. Those are the people that need it. Many people think, you know, someday I may have a job where I can have a ministry. You have a ministry right now in the job you're at. You just haven't taken it. Why? Because you're afraid your co-workers are going to make fun of you. You're afraid to do the things of God and speak the things of God because it's not popular. But I want to tell you, you can live out your faith authentically. And if you're living it out for the Lord instead of for your own self-righteousness, God will create a ministry in, in where you are right now. Many people have abdicated spiritual leadership in the United States. Because they take a look at TV and says, oh man, I don't fit in. So therefore, that's an alien country. I'm just, I'm just abdicating the whole country. I, I, mean, uh, I mean, the sinners can have it. And I'll just gather in my little old enclave of religious people, people like myself. Why have you done that? Because you're afraid. You're afraid. You've got this majority report in your, in your mind. You know? No. Let me tell you something. God is giving you a territory, and it's not a territory without uh, discouragement. It's not a territory without problems. As a matter of fact, the more important that territory is to God, probably the more problems you're going to run into. Did you ever notice that? You know what Ike said to JFK the day before JFK was inaugurated President of the United States? He looked at him and he said, Kennedy, there will be no easy problems that come to you. Easy problems never get to the President of the United States. If they are easy, they've already been solved. I want to say the same thing to you. When you're put into a place of spiritual responsibility, no easy problems come to you. Don't expect easy problems or, or, or clear answers every time. But that doesn't mean it's not your territory. God has given you that territory, and He has provided you everything you need to take it over. Already in Jesus Christ. That's what we said last week, wasn't it? That at Calvary... God has provided you everything you need, not only for your failures of the past, but for your success in the future. Now read on with me. I love this. Now behold, the Lord has let me live just as He spoke these 45 years. You, you know, you can add the you know, two years into the wilderness, 38 years in the wilderness. It took Him seven years to, to uh, conquer the promised land. That You can do the math. From, from the time that the Lord spoke this word to Moses when Israel walked in the wilderness, and now behold, I am 85 years old today. It's not unusual for there to be a space of time in between what you know is your territory and the time you take it over. What you know is your responsibility and the time you really step into it. Not, a, not at all unusual. And it's not unusual for that to be a very long time either. Now watch. Look at what it says. I love this. Verse 11. And I am still as strong today as I was in the day Moses sent me. This is an 85-year-old guy, see. As my strength was then, so my strength is now for war and for going out and coming in. You know what this is saying? I've got an 85-year-old dad. I know, I, you know, I, I worry about him. He's getting frail. He's forgetting things, you know. He, he, he's, he doesn't see 
well, he, he can't hear well. And I'm thinking, here's an 85-year-old guy who is saying, I'm as strong, I'm as, strong as I was at 40 years old. I, I don't care whether you, 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 you bring, me, bring on the battle. I'm going I'm talk, I'm to talk about the battle in just a minute. I don't care whether it's war or just everyday life. I'm just as strong as I was at 40 years old. Now, let me ask you, how can he say that? How can he say that and not be a liar? How can he say that? And, 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 and for it to be in the Bible, you know, and for us to respect this guy. How can he say it and it be true? There's only one way. He can't be talking physically, can he? Can't be talking mentally. Can't be talking emotionally. He can only be talking in terms of faith. The only way you can be as strong and stronger at 85 than you were at 40 is when your source of strength remains as strong. That is what we call faith. That, at 85 years old, can be a better connection than it was at 40 years old. Don't depend on love or smarts or mood to be your source of strength. Only depend on God to be your source of strength. And if you depend on God to be your source of strength, you will be as strong no matter how old you are as you are right now. Probably stronger because you know how to depend on Him better. Most of us use our source of strength. Again, that old popularity model. If enough people tell me I'm right, I'm going to get encouraged and do a better job. You know, I'm going to have a positive mental attitude, and then I'll give the full the full deal. You know, and so we look for people to go around and tell us we're right or or love us enough. You know, well, there's nothing wrong with wanting to be loved. I don't I don't want to put that down. All of us need love. People need you know people with you know things with skin on in order to tell us that we're great and love us just like we are. That's all right. That's okay. Don't need to be ashamed of that. But you can't make that your source of strength. Because that doesn't have any ability in itself to accomplish your call. Becky was teaching Bible school this week, and she was, the, the lesson was on relationships, and she was driving home the, the point that Jesus was the, you know, he, was, he loves us, and he's, he's, He loves us no matter what, and He loves us sometimes even more. You know, friends stick closer to the bro- than a brother, and so on and so forth. And she's driving this point home to these kids, you know, and says, so let me sum up. You know, who loves you no matter what? Who loves you more than anybody in the world loves you? Who loves you more than even your family loves you? This little girl raised her hand and said, My cat does. (laughs) Well, that may be true. It may be true. But you can't depend on your cat to be your source of strength. Neither can you depend on your family or your friends or your mood. Or you're smart. You can't depend on any of that to be your source. Your source has to be the Lord God. And if it is, you'll be as strong at 85 as you were at 40. All right. Take a look at this next verse because I like this even more. Look at verse 12. Now then. Here's this 85-year-old guy sitting here. Now then. Talking to Joshua. Give me this hill country about which the Lord spoke on that day. He picks out the roughest place in all the promised land. You know why? Because the Anakim are there. Look at this. With, about which the Lord spoke on that day, for you heard on that day that the Anakim were there. With great fortified cities. 
He's remembering the time that he and Josh and the other ten were, were sneaking through the underbrush. And they looked through, and there's fruit so big that, that guys had to carry it on poles between themselves. And then they looked from the fruit to the guys. And they said, they're giants. Their cities are huge. They make us look like grasshoppers. Remember that story? And he looks, he's, this is an 85-year-old guy, and he says, Yeah, the Anakim were there with great fortified cities. And then he says this, Perhaps the Lord will be with me. Now, I, I want to I translate this for you. Perhaps it looks like it's, it, he's doubting, you know, Well, maybe the Lord will be with me. Now, that's not, what it, that's not what it says in Hebrew. What it says is, In the same proportion, the Lord is with me. He's not doubting the Lord's going to be with him. The Lord's already promised it to him. That's where he gets all his courage from, all his strength. He says, perhaps the Lord will be with me, and I'll drive them out as the Lord has spoken. <laughs> Let me tell you this. Oh, just this, and then I'll, and then I'll quit. He has a totally different way of facing the future than our usual way in this society. He faces the problems first. This is the promised land. He ought to be going in there. If he was an American, he'd be going in there saying, where's the milk and honey? Just bring it on. You know? If there's some old giants hiding in the mountains, maybe they won't bother me. Maybe I won't have to worry about them. But in the future, if I have to worry about them, I'll, I'll face that when the time comes. Do you realize that that mentality pervades our society today? They, they, they don't go looking and facing the problems up front. They just say, maybe I can pay for it down the road. It's why so many people go blind into relationships and they will not admit from the very beginning that there are substantive issues they need to talk about. It's why so many people have a little blip economically and they're wiped out. You know why? Because they have acquired a product and they want to live in the blessing on a little, you know, they don't say how much does it cost. They say, how much is the monthly payment? Can I afford the monthly payment? And they, they accumulate so many monthly payments that they can, they can kind of handle with their budget with a little luck. And then some, some little minor economic problem happens and boom, they're wiped out. Why? Because they didn't face the full payment when they began the thing. They didn't take responsibility to provide for the future before it got here, before it got bad. We do the same thing with our relationships. You know, maybe, maybe I could just go in and feel their love for a while. And they don't face the responsibility of what a full relationship is going to be like. That they have to provide for that relationship for better or for worse, for richer or for poorer. They don't face that up front. And so they get surprised when it comes. You know, we had a conversation the other day, yesterday as a matter of fact, and I, something went, a light bulb went on in my head that has never gone on before, and I have no idea why it didn't. This is maturity. You know what we've been doing as a church? We know, we know what God is, is calling us to in the next five years. We know what we're going to have to provide for what he's already sent us in order to minister to people. We know what the outlay of expenditures are. You know how we've been living, though? Our budget just reflects what we need to operate from day to day. 
And then if there's anything left over, we kind of save it up for the future. You know, kind of la, 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 you know. But this future, in God's eyes, is every bit as real as the present is. God has already provided the future. And God will provide the resources in the present in order to conquer the future. Now, let me ask you something. Doesn't it make sense to you? Isn't it a mark of maturity that we would take responsibility, that we would put that whole picture in front of us now? What's it going to require to take the future? Let's begin to meet up to that responsibility now. Do you know why we're in such bad shape as a country? Why our grandchildren could pay 80% of their income in taxes? Because they have just the opposite view. Well, I'll get all the blessings I can now and keep deferring the debt till the future. People do that with, with finances. People do that with relationships. And it ends up in doom every time. No. The man of God says, what's the worst? What's the full cost? I'm going to start paying it right now. Right up front. I'm going to take responsibility. That's maturity. And that's what God calls us to. And you know what? He says, not only should you take responsibility, I'll provide it. Because I've provided everything you need. i provided everything you need. Not only for the past, but for the future as well. Think about that. Pray with me. God, thank you that you do not allow us just to live day to day without calling us to full responsibility for the territory in which we already walk, which will be ours for the future. Father, I pray this morning that you would allow our faith to grow to such an extent that we could see you as able to conquer the future that you have for us. You have already provided that in Jesus Christ. Help us not to depend on our own um, merits, especially when times get discouraging, especially when we were so idealistic to begin with and then the problems came and now we're all shaken up and we want to run away and, and go someplace else. God, help us to see that the place on which our foot has trodden is our future and that you have everything we need to take responsibility to provide spiritual leadership. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now to close, we have a a little vignette. Uh, This is of a a true story uh, from a book called uh, Evidence Not Seen from a missionary, Darlene Diebler-Rose. This is her story of when she was sent to a Pacific island in order to do missionary work and later found herself the prisoner of an internment camp in the Second World War. And the little vignette we want to present to you is of the day that she was set free and began to make her trip back to the United States.
came to the Japanese prison camp at Campili two weeks after it was heralded in the rest of the world. It was September 19, 1945, when I stepped carefully balancing my emaciated 80-pound frame into the bobbing rowboat that was to carry me away from my island of captivity. Eight years before, and a war away, I had arrived in the West Indies with my husband to begin missionary work, now rowing away from the shore. Despite the lush green foliage and the sparkling blue waters, the island just seemed desolate. All I could think of was a lonely wooden cross on some remote hillside that marked the grave of the Reverend Russell C. Diebler, my husband. Alone, I was beginning my journey back to my home. I turned away from the island as bitterness began to corrode around the edges of my soul like acid. Twenty-eight years old, already more than two years a widow, I was returning to the United States without a single possession of my own, not even a keepsake from my married life. They'd all been stolen or destroyed. I had an ulcer eating into the flesh of one of my legs. I wore borrowed clothes and the diseases of imprisonment, malaria, beriberi, dysentery, had left me frail and debilitated. For four years, 1,600 other women and myself had meted the hours in starvation, deprivation, and marked the anniversaries of the deaths of our loved ones who succumbed one by one to diseases and bombings. And all that time, not one single letter had arrived from home, not one humane Red Cross package had been dropped by the Allies. Not one encouraging pamphlet had been ferreted under the barbed wire fence to let us even know if anyone was still fighting for our freedom. Again, the bitterness just filled me and I looked away. And as I stood, suspended between my captivity and my new life, I felt a new fear. Would I know how to live outside of the regiment? of confinement and suffering? Would I ever be able to close my eyes without seeing the horrors and the devastation of the past eight years, constantly reliving them in my mind? And when would I ever be able to look at others, delirious with joy at being reunited with their loved ones and not just feel my own heart constrict with the loss of my Russell? I looked away. I knew that the only way for me to ever truly live again would be through healing and forgiveness. And so I was ready to never truly live again. And then I heard voices behind me from the shore, feet running and voices calling my name. Darlene, a peaceful journey, Mrs. Diebler. Come back quickly, Darlene. 
I would not look back. And then those voices began to raise in song. One that Russell and I had taught them. One that we had sung together many times in the tabernacle. God be with you till we meet again. God be with you till we meet again. And so I looked back and God broke my heart. These were my friends. I belonged here. And as I let the tears flow, my bitterness was washed away. I had not come to this island because I was Russell's wife. These past eight years were not called Russell's wife's fate or unfortunate circumstances. These past eight years, this island has my name on it. It is called Darlene's. These island people are my friends, united in Christ. I turned back to the rope ladder and I climbed up onto the seaplane. And as it got ready to take off, I raised my weary, weary arm. And I looked back again and I waved at my friends. And I knew that someday soon I would return. You're a Christian. You've been called to a territory of spiritual responsibility and leadership. And I know some of you right now are very discouraged, very intimidated. But don't give up. Don't run away. You can do this. Not because of your own ability, but because God called you there. And God is in control.